Lord God, we come before you and we want to come under the sound of your word, the full counsel of God as revealed to us in the Bible. And we thank you, Lord, for blessing our brother Richard here with uh, good health and restored good health too. We pray that you will strengthen his body day by day and you will anoint his spirit even more as he continues to serve you faithfully daily. And now may the meditations of his heart, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, just guide him in sharing the word of God today to us and that we might be hearers and doers of the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Kofai, for the introduction. Let's make this adjustment here. Among my diverse bodily ailments, I'm also hard of hearing. And I will wear uh, an earpiece from time to time if I remember. And often I forget to wear it. The earpiece has to be, it's actually an amplifier. The earpiece has to be carefully adjusted. If it's not well adjusted, then whilst you're talking to me, I can hear in, a, say, in a mall, a shopping mall, I can hear all the noises and the music and the, the cooking happening in the mall, but I can't hear you because you're too near to me. And if it's well adjusted, then I can hear you, then I may miss all that is around me. So, this morning, I pray that uh, our ears are adjusted to hear the Spirit speaking to us. Don't adjust the ear of your mind so that you're listening to what's outside of here, or your mind is thinking of certain things which are not related to what we want to come to do to worship God and to honor Him and to hear His word. So I would value your patience and your prayer if from time to time if I ask you to repeat again, <laughs> it's not because you have not spoken well, but because I'm not hearing so well. We have a rather extensive narrative of Paul's missionary journey in Acts 20. And for the sake of time, I want to concentrate this morning just on his farewell, farewell speech, his farewell address to the Ephesian elders from Acts 20 verse 17. Paul at this time was on his third missionary journey, which started in Acts 18. Um, and it began in the year of about AD 54, long ago. He wanted to make he wanted to make at least one more visit to the churches he had founded and had established because Paul was a man with a real concern in his heart. As he wrote in uh, one of his letters, he says, the care of the church was his greatest joy as well as his heaviest burden. So in this third missionary journey, his purpose was not only to encourage the believers, and several of them were uh, believers in their newfound faith, but also to take up a collection, a very practical thing for the needy believers in Jerusalem. And during this longish trip, 
he reached Ephesus, if you can have the map here, he reached Ephesus where he remained for nearly three years. And he spoke boldly so that all who dwelt in Asia, the Bible says, heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jews and Greek. And if you, you, I'm sure you can identify Ephesus there. It is just in Turkey, but above Miletus and below Mytilene, that's Ephesus. Paul did tremendous work in Ephesus. He preached and he taught the gospel of Jesus Christ and he permitted many miracles to be done through him. And as was a very common phenomenon for Paul in his preaching and in his, um, in his ministry, he attracted a lot of opposition and his life was being threatened by those in Ephesus because uh, they were in the business, these people who threatened his life were in the business of supplying idols to worshippers of the god Artemis. And they threatened him so much that they almost killed him. Now, if you look at his map, you find that in this travel on his return trip, he passed through Essos, Mytilene, Chios, Samos, and Miletus. If you can see that, I hope your eyes are better than mine, but it's all coming downwards here. He bypassed Ephesus after having visited it. In Miletus, he called for the, for the Ephesian elders who were, oops, who were about 30 miles away. Miletus is there. Who's got that? Oh, good. Thank you, Asia. My right now. In Miletus here, he called for the elders of, from Ephesus, where he had spent three years there ministering, and he asked them to come. And they came to see him, because although they were 30 miles away, they came to meet up with the men who loved them, and whom they loved very much. And Paul gave, as we read this passage, an emotional farewell address, telling them that this could be the last time he would see his face. So let's look at the passage in Acts 20, if you have your Bible. If not, look at the screen and we read together. Verse 17. Okay. From Miletus, can you read with me? Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility, with tears, in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. 
Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. For I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, night and day, with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. The book of Acts has often been called uh, the Acts of the Holy Spirit uh, because the, it is the Holy Spirit when you read uh, the whole book who directs and energizes the church and it is he who appoints elders as spiritual leaders so when you read you can look at it later when you read verse 22 Paul says compelled by the spirit I'm going to Jerusalem verse 23 says the Holy Spirit warns me of uh, hardships and prison facing me and verse 28 he says uh, <clears throat> of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers and he says care for the sheep because you have been appointed by the Holy Spirit this morning I want to draw your attention to three points in Paul's farewell address the first one is Paul's testimony of himself as a servant leader which we have just read and then towards the later part his reminder which is a second point to the leaders of their duties as shepherds of the flock and not only his reminders but his warning of the dangers they faced and the third point is Paul letting go of the church that he had loved so much and labored in so firstly in Paul's testimony of himself he said three things firstly he said that in these years these three years I've been in Ephesus I have been an open book to you this is a fantastic testimony he was not boasting he was just speaking frankly he says I've not taken anyone's money I've worked independently uh, for my upkeep with these hands I have supplied my own needs so that was one of the things he said uh, the second thing he said is that he had taught the whole counsel of God to the church faithfully I've preached the gospel fearlessly I've served the Lord in the midst of suffering. 
And then he said, I will face the future gallantly as the Lord has decided for me. In every city, he says, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me, but he will nonetheless go forward courageously. So this is his testimony he made before the leaders of the, of the church, and he also looked ahead to the time when he goes to Jerusalem and he will suffer imprisonment and hardship. This wasn't a prepared speech. This was a speech which came from the heart of men who had served the Lord faithfully and passionately. And now he speaks with great emotions from the very bottom of his heart. Paul's address as he speaks is actually punctuated by this phrase, two phrases, you know, I know. In other words, he's saying, I don't really need to justify myself before you. You know me. And I know what I have done. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. Verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. And verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you. In our key verse for today, which is verse 27, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will or the whole counsel of God. And Paul was saying that as he had faithfully preached and taught the whole gospel in Ephesus, his message covered the whole revelation which God had given him. He preached blessings and warnings. He preached good news of God's love, but he also preached God's anger and God's judgment. He says, I've not left out teaching on suffering and persecution and told you only nice things which you may have liked to hear. In my teaching of doctrines and duties, of privileges and responsibilities, I have not compromised nor gone to extremes. So he says, I have preached, I've not hesitated to preach to you the whole counsel of God. And later in 2 Timothy, Paul was to warn the younger Timothy that in the last days, People wouldn't hear, wouldn't endure sound doctrine. But they would look for teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And he used this phrase, teachers who would scratch their itching ears. It would have been easier for Paul, of course, with all this opposition and hardship, to have said nice things to the people to hear. But God had entrusted him with the full gospel message and he had to obey. And so the same with our church and with leaders in our church and those who preach. It would be nice to hear nice things and comfortable things, but the Bible doesn't only tell us nice, comfortable things of blessings or successes, but also tells us hardships and suffering and pain and judgment and God's anger. As Paul bears his heart, bears his soul to the Ephesian leaders, we see the spirit of his address reveals to us a very close, a very intimate relationship that existed between him and the leaders. This intimate relationship, characterized by love, sacrifice and concern, we had, which he had shown to them over the past years. He says, I've been honorable, I hid nothing from you. I did not steal, I did not covet any money from you, but I worked with my hands for support. He was not boasting but he was affirming this 
transparent and faultless life and of his good conscience before God and man, which I'm sure as the Ephesian leaders heard him, they would have added their amens to all that he said. Paul uses the Greek word doulo in verse 19 to describe his service and ministry in Ephesus. Doulo or dolos is referring to the slave-master relationship. He says, I serve as a slave to my master and I am a servant leader in the church, in God's church. And he appeals to the he appeals to the leaders that they should also be servant leaders, practicing humility and lowliness of mind, and echoing and obeying what Jesus had said. I came not to be served, but to serve. Have you got that one, man? I came not to be served, but to serve. <clears throat> you know, in a non-Christian organization, it is quite unlikely when we are looking for our leaders that we will have one of the qualifications that he or she must be a spiritual man. Most of the people won't understand what this is. A spiritual man is not a criteria to hit a non-Christian organization. I remember that at the farewell tea given to me many, many years ago when I left FNN, the GM told those present, he said, Richard is actually going into the spirit business. <laughs> of course, he was making pun on the Anchor and Tiger Beer, which FNN was associated with as a company. Thankfully, the, for all those 15 years or so, the Lord kept me in the soft drinks sector. And I worked there, and uh, I, I was so glad and thankful for that. Uh, protection from the Lord. You know, like many of you, I have never considered myself as a spiritual leader in God's church. Only as a worker, yes. Uh, sometimes as a leader, yes. But as the years have gone by, I have begun to discover that no leadership in God's church can be a denial of the workings of the Holy Spirit in the man's life. You all in the church leadership, in whatever ministry you're in, are spiritual men and women. And the Spirit works in us by teaching us that the spiritual man whom the Lord has appointed, whom the Holy Spirit has anointed us with, is the man who has a in our leadership, a humble spirit, lowliness of mind, a willingness to make sacrifice, and one whose heart is for God and for his church. This has been identified as a servant leader. And Peter, who had earlier acted in such pride and arrogance and was restored and recommissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ when he rose from the, red, from the dead, Peter wrote to the church in about 64 to 68 AD, he elaborated on the elder servant leadership role, which we can see here. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Next one. 
not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief, next one, and when the chief shepherd, oh, okay, let's go back to that one. I didn't, I put in, being examples to the Lord, but being examples to the Lord, and it says, it gives a promise, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. You know, when I read this passage repeatedly over the years, I have always learned to put my life and my ministry against this revelation in God's word on spiritual leadership. And I know I've not yet arrived. I'm convinced that, however, that those of us in Christian service and leadership can only do an effective and meaningful work if we have the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Whether it is serving at tables, like the seven men in Acts 6 who were full of the Holy Spirit, whether it's serving in tables or taking on the role of elders or whatever ministry we lead, our ministry means nothing if it is not spiritually empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is not an easy thing to be a faithful shepherd of God's flock. One day, the shepherds will have to give account of their ministry to God. The word bishop or overseer in the New Testament refers to the elder who is both over and who is, both, who is also among the people. This can create problems in the church if the sheep or the shepherd do not understand. Some people and some churches emphasize the among re- relationship of the pastor and the church whilst others want to put the pastor on the pedestal and makes him a super saint over others, he can virtually do no wrong. I think the truth is that the effective pastor needs both relationships. The pastor or the leader or the elder must be among the people so that he may know their needs. And he must be over the people so that he can lead them. And someone has said, when you lead, lead as a servant. When you serve, serve as a leader. Is that possible? Yes, I believe so. Because if leaders are willing <clears throat> to serve with a willing spirit, if they, want, they are prepared to serve with a servant heart, not for self-gain and profit, not lording over people like a big boss, but being examples to the flock. And if the spirit of love, the agape love, is the very center of their heart of service, then these men and women are truly spiritual men whom the Holy Spirit has appointed to lead God's church. If there's no love, when love dies in any church or in the life of any leader, if there's no love for the people, no love for the work of God, no love for the proclamation of the gospel, no love for the teaching of the scriptures, then the work of Christ will slowly fade away. I know a pastor, several years back, given up a well-paid professional job. But when he was in the ministry, he complained that his peers who are still working in the commercial world, his peers' salaries had overtaken him. And he also insisted traveling on business class for his air travels 
to maintain his status. This man very obviously had not burnt his bridges behind him. He probably didn't count the cost for him to enter the ministry and he eventually left the ministry, which I thought was the wisest move. In the second point Paul makes in his address is that he reminded the leaders of their duties and of the dangers they face. From verse 28 we read, I'll read it for you again, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. So be on your guard. This section, the second section of Paul's address, can be summed up under two words. Keep watch. The elders, he says, you have to keep watch over yourselves. For that is the first attack of the enemy, the first spiritual attack of the enemy. Then you have to keep watch over the flock, especially those who are not strong in the understanding of the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. They will be among the first to be chewed up by the roaring lion. And he says, the church also has to watch out for the schemes and the deceptions of the evil one, because he will attack the church from within, from your own number, and he will attack the church from without. So Paul in Ephesians 6 has to tell the Ephesian Christians to put on the whole armor of God so that you can withstand the wiles of the evil one. If a leader does not watch his spiritual life, if an elder or a deacon or a deaconess or ministry leader or even a Sunday school teacher, if you fail to exercise spiritual disciplines of prayer, of knowing and using God's word, of waiting on the Lord, then you will find yourself that you are not in a position to watch over the flock and defend them. Whatever name you may call yourself, without these spiritual disciplines where you have exercised and where you watched over yourselves and where the Holy Spirit will then enable and empower us, we can find no way to care for the flock and to defend them. Such is the gravity of Paul's warning. Man will arise and distort the truth. And therefore, that becomes the very center of the way we look after the sheep, the flock. That the word of God must be taught and explained and applied to the lives of those under our care. And this was Paul's warning to the leaders. Finally, the third point, we see Paul letting go of the church. Verse 32 says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up, give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. After this heavy duty session, I want to tell you something lighter. It's entitled, someone sent it to me on the website. <clears throat> it's entitled Einstein and Billy Graham. The leaders in Charlotte, which is uh, Billy Graham's hometown, invited their favorite son, Billy Graham, to a luncheon in his honor. And Billy Graham is now 94 with Parkinson's disease. So initially, he hesitated to accept the invitation. But the Charlotte leader says, we don't expect a major address. Just come and let us honor you. So he agreed. 
after wonderful things were said about him, Dr. Graham stepped forward to the lost rostrum, looked at the crowd and said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist, who this month has been honoured by Time magazine as a man of the century. And he says, Einstein was once travelling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle punching the tickets of every passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached in his vest pocket. He couldn't find his ticket. He reached in his trousers pocket. It wasn't there. He looked in his briefcase, couldn't find it. Then he looked on the, in the seat beside him. He couldn't find it. The doctor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. The Einstein nodded in an appreciating manner. So the conductor went down the aisle punching tickets. And as he turned round, he saw Einstein down on his hands and knees looking under his seat for his ticket. The conductor rushed back, said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. No problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Then Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I do know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> and having said that story, Billy Graham continued. He says, see this suit I'm wearing? It's brand new. My family are telling me that I've gotten a little bit slovenly in my old age. I used to be a bit more fastidious. So I went out and bought a new suit for this occasion. And for one more occasion, you know what that occasion is? This is a suit I'll be buried in. But when you hear I'm dead, I don't want you immediately to remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that I not only know who I am, I also know where I'm going. Because life without God is like an unsharpened pencil, he says. It has no point. And Billy Graham concludes, he says, May each of us have lived our lives so that when our ticket is punched, we don't have to worry about where we are going. Now this is how Paul put it from verse 22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And then he says in verse 32, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul had a very steadfast gaze and endurance. You can say he was a tough skin character in the face of trials, in the face of severe testings from the plots of the Jews, he survived. But this time he knew ahead that the Holy Spirit was telling him that troubles and persecutions, imprisonment will await him in Jerusalem, but he didn't flinch. He set his sight to go to Jerusalem. And from the day Jesus had met him on the Damascus Road and transformed his life from a prosecutor of the church to a Christian apostle, to the Gentiles, Paul knew where he was going. 
and he gave up all of his past achievements, his status, and he looked forward, he said, to the price of the high calling of Jesus Christ. And now he knew his time would be up. And so he purposed to let go of this church he had loved so much. This church that God had set up through him, he purposed to let go to the elders. He could leave these Christians now with a good conscience because we saw in verse 27, he had taught them the whole counsel of God. And he was letting go for others to continue the work. You know, that's about the hardest, especially for older leaders and those long in the work of spiritual caring and witnessing. But Paul knew he had to let go. You know, God had, has placed us, each one of us, in a station in life. Whatever your position, your occupation may be, remember God has placed you there. What Martin Luther says is a station in life. And in each of these stations, he has gifted us with spiritual gifts to enable us to serve one another. And there comes a time when you find that the Spirit will tell you, let go. And we must not have ears like mine, which needs an amplifier to hear. We must have good ears to carefully hear the voice of the Spirit and obey. The church which Paul had helped and cared for and loved so much was in later years commended by Paul in Ephesians 1.15. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That was Paul writing to them years later but about 30 years later in about AD 95 towards the end of the first century when John wrote Revelation and addressed the seven churches he commended the Ephesian church on two things their persistence and their purity their diligence and their doctrine even in the face of difficulty and of opposition no false doctrine corrupted their congregation. However, sadly, a very serious problem had developed in the church. Ironically, it was the problem related to the strength which Paul had spoken about in Ephesians 1 30 years ago. And through John, Jesus' message to the church in Ephesus was, but I have this against you, that you have lost your first love. Revelation 2.4. All these things are written for our instruction, Paul wrote. So in application to ourselves today, we too have to be watchful. That brotherly love, love for one another, which is the very strength of our Christian community, is not lost. You can have programs galore and projects galore and activities galore, but if there is no love, then everything is like a sounding symbol, like a gong, empty and meaningless. And our church, if there's no love among ourselves, then we could become a mere meeting place. A meeting place for people who like to sing the same songs, or who like to practice the same profession of religion, 
which Paul tells Timothy is having a form of godliness but denying its power. What is the power? The power of love. So what can we take away from what we have learned today? First of all, I've often told myself and my friends that I'm neither Jesus Christ nor Paul nor any of the heroes of faith. I'm a much, much lesser child of God. Paul said, my aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. I say with a much lesser faith, I will do my best. I can for the work that God has called me to if the Lord carries. And I suppose that's what most of us can say and do. We will seek to obey the Lord Jesus Christ as best as we can, serve him diligently with the giftings he has given us and within the limitations of faith which God has given us. If God has given us a limit in our faith, which the Bible tells us, then if your faith is not to raise dead bodies, don't bother about that. If your faith is not even to uh, what you call preach the gospel in so dynamic a way that you get hundreds of people who are saved, then don't let don't go on a guilt trip on that. We are called to be humble followers of Jesus by loving and caring for one another in God's community. This is the first essential of Christian leadership and service. By offering the best that we can to suffer for him if needed. But at all times, we are asked to give ourselves afresh to him in life's changing situations so that we may say, we want to see him more clearly. Each day we want to love him more dearly and we want to follow him more nearly day by day. Let's rise and we pray together. <clears throat> Our dear loving Father, we thank you for this wonderful privilege to be able to look at your word and to, as your spirit instructs us. We thank you that you give us hearts and ears and minds to understand your word as a spirit teaches us and guides us and counsels us. We thank you for the example of the life of Paul, how he had not withheld teaching the whole counsel of God to the church in Ephesus. And we thank you for each one here in leadership, in ministry, those who are members of the church who have come to enjoy the fellowship of being bound together in the love of Jesus Christ, to enjoy the fellowship of knowing one another with a greater knowledge and not just as a passing acquaintance, but knowing one another by name, in love, and learning to care for one another. We thank you you give us all these privileges and opportunities, and we ask, Lord, that as we each day look to our Lord Jesus Christ for guidance, and lay hold of the Holy Spirit who is our counsellor and our guide and who empowers us in life. 
that we may seek to love you, to serve you, and to know you more and more. This we ask and we thank you, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated.